This morning we are continuing our series, our devoted series. We are almost there. We got March, not tomorrow, right? Next day, because it was a leap year this year. We have an extra day this year. And we're continuing our devoted series all the way up till uh, Easter. That's on the 27th of March. And on that Sunday, we will be talking about the discipline of celebrating God's goodness. And uh, we'll be having a special service that day to culminate and bring the series to a close. After that, we'll be moving into a series on relationships. I do want to mention tonight that um, although it is uh, strongly encouraged for members to to be in attendance, we also invite, um, we invite you even if you're not a member. Obviously, you're not uh, able to participate in any of the voting that happens until your membership is, is official, but this is for the whole church. So if you want to come out and just, um, you, we'll, we'll try to delegate where you're able to sit, probably just on the side so that we can delineate the lines for the membership just to make it easy for us to, uh, to calculate things. Um, but you're more than welcome to come, and the good news is there's going to be food. Okay, So 6.30 tonight, sharp. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if your version is slightly different, that's okay. Just try to follow along as best we can. The title of my message this morning is The Discipline of Giving. Amen. Amen. You can do better than that. Come on. The Discipline of Giving. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. 
so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased as you are burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray again. Father, this morning we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet, a path that lights our way before us. We thank you for the Spirit of God that speaks to us through your word, reminding us of your truth. Lord, as we've embarked on a series that seeks to develop spiritual disciplines, we know that your heart behind each of these is that we would be made free, that we would know your truth, and that as a result of knowing your truth and being your disciple, we would walk in the freedom that you've purchased for us. Lord, that's all you've ever wanted for us, that we would be made free, set free today. So help us to see the freedom you desire for us through the discipline of giving, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like we said today, we're continuing our devoted series. We're discussing the discipline of giving. Giving, according to our text this morning, takes discipline. It's not something that's just automatic. Giving is something that we work on, something that we need to develop in our habit of giving, in our systematic way of being generous and developing a heart of generosity. Giving, as we will see, is an integral part of our lives, and it's an essential part of our Christian walk, our walk before the Lord. It's as we endeavor to follow Christ, not just in part, but wholly, it's important that we also discuss and talk about and learn about the discipline of giving. Now, right away, uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of apprehension around giving because there's been a lot of abuse. So, uh, in, historically, as, as churches and as different organizations talk about giving, and they pass the plate, um, that can come with a lot of uh, apprehension. A lot of people saying, well, statements like, well, that organization, they just, they just want money. Well, I can tell you that that may be true for some organizations, but I also will tell you that God has a provision of freedom for all of us as we develop the discipline of giving. That this is something that God has given to us for our sakes. It says in His Word that it's more blessed to give than to receive. What does the Scripture mean by that? It's interesting, I don't have uh, the slides today, but there was a cartoon, many of you have seen it. It's a picture of a, of a gentleman who's getting baptized. And the pastor in this cartoon is standing by him in the water and he's basically telling him just before he's about to baptize him in the tank that he says, now, let me tell you, everything that goes under this water 
belongs to God. And in the next scene, you see that the man is being held underwater, but he stuck his wallet out. So it's, yes, Lord, take my life, take all that I am. But when it comes to finances, sometimes there's difficulty. And we're going to get into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself as to why that is. The Word of God teaches us that giving is about putting God first. It's about having a willing heart and attitude. Giving is about equality, maturity, and ultimately, giving is about freedom. First, I want to talk to you about the word grace. From our passage, we see that the word grace is found five times here. Five times. And you can circle that in your Bible or underline it somehow. In verse 1, the grace that God has given among the churches. And then in verse 4, it talks about the privilege or the favor of taking part. That word favor and privilege is that the root word is essentially grace again. Okay, And then later on in verse 7, as we urge Titus that uh, he should encourage you, you should complete among you this act of grace. And later on it says, see that all the things that you excel in, whatever it is you're doing, also excel in this act of grace also. And finally in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake, that through his poverty we might become rich. So we see that Paul is framing the discipline of giving around the grace of God. The discipline of giving is only by God's grace that we're able to give. In Romans uh, 12, is, uh, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit talks about the graces given to the church. And there's a few places in Scripture where it talks about the gifts. And Romans 12 is one of them. And in verse 6 to 8, it reads this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let them use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in their teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or the one who gives, gives generously in generosity. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see even in the book of Romans where it talks about all of the gifts given to the church, all of the graces apportioned to God's church, that one of them is this grace of generosity, the grace of of giving. Grace is a discipline, but we have to understand first and foremost that our ability to give, just like our ability to preach or teach or our ability to help or or exhort or whatever we do as a church, our ability to be generous is the result of the grace of God. What does that mean? It means it's the result of God's unmerited favor. Which means that if we're blessed, it's not because of anything that we've earned. It means that God has provisioned us with resources in order for us to contribute back to His kingdom. Amen. So the discipline of giving is a grace of God. All of these gifts 
are given to the church by the grace of God. In our passage, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give in a special offering for the believers in Jerusalem and reminds them that their ability to give is only possible because of God's unmerited favor. Not only is it about God's grace that we are able to work on this discipline of giving, but the discipline of giving also speaks to us about what true wealth really is. What is true wealth? What does it mean to be wealthy? Is it a matter of just how many zeros are in the bank account? It isn't. That's not what true wealth is all about. See, the church in Macedonia was extremely poor. It says that word, extremely poor. Not just poor in in what maybe we would think of in, in class today. They were literally the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. They had almost nothing. They were extremely poor, Paul says. But their joy outweighed their poverty. True wealth is not about means, but it's about a heart that is generous. It's about generosity. Kent Hughes, in his book, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, wrote this, the grace of giving has nothing to do with being well off. The grace of giving has nothing to do with being well off. It is not dictated by ability. It is a willingness to give. You see, regardless of means, true wealth is about a willing heart that overflows with generosity. There are people who have an abundance in resources, but they don't have a generous heart. There are people who have an abundance and who have a generous heart. There's people who have almost nothing, and they're not generous. And there's people who have nothing And yet those are the very people who seem to be the most generous. So generosity and the grace of giving is not about means or amount of resources. It's about what's happening in the heart. I remember um, a story about, uh, I believe it was my wife, was on a missions trip in the Philippines. And also when she spent some time in Colombia. And she would oftentimes encounter... Uh, many children and many young people who were what we would consider extremely poor, extremely poor, especially in Colombia, and they would come knocking uh, and and, and see whatever they could get. But these were the very same people who would give the shirt off their back. They were, their smiles, she would talk about how happy they were and how much joy they had. And at the same time, that they were so full of joy in terms of material possessions, they didn't have anything. They had maybe one outfit that they had to go home and wash, and they had a spare shirt just to wear while they were washing the one that they, that they had. You know, They had nothing, and yet that didn't dictate how much joy they had. And that was the same for the Macedonian church. Perhaps it was the church of Philippi in Macedonia where... They were very poor, and yet their joy outweighed their poverty. Their joy and their willingness, their generosity, is what caused them to really know what it is to be truly wealthy. 
You see, regardless of means, true wealth is about a willing heart that overflows with generosity because of the grace of God and their willingness. Those who were poor in the eyes of the world actually had tremendous wealth. They had true wealth. They were truly free in regards to money. James chapter 2, verse 5 reads this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? Remember, Jesus said that it's hard for the rich man. Why is that? Well, the poor, in a certain sense, not all the time, this is not a generalization, but in a certain sense, many times the poor have an advantage is because they're, they're limited in their alternatives and where they can place their hope. Because they don't have anything, oftentimes they don't have a choice but to trust in God. And I think that's the same for many of us. I know myself that I find myself thanking God for the needs that I have. Thanking God. Because it's through those needs and through our uh, perceived needs that we are forced to really depend on God, to believe God, to have faith in God that He will provide, that He will make a way even though the ends don't meet all the time. God is able. And that develops our faith. That develops our trust in Him. And so God, by virtue of placing needs in people's lives, develops faith. And in the case of the poor, encourages them to be strong in faith. I'm not saying that's a generalization because oftentimes people can be poor and they still don't trust God and sometimes people can be very well off and they still have a, a, a tremendous dependence on God. We see the opposite uh, is also true in, in the life of King David. You remember, he was a king. There was nothing that he lacked. Anything he wanted, he could have. He was rich beyond whatever... Uh, our, our minds could even conceive. There was no limit to the resources that David had. And yet he said, Lord, I need you. I'm lowly and poor, and I'm in great need of you. It's very uh, interesting. It's almost a paradox for us to look at that scripture and say, well, David didn't need anything. And yet he understood that his need before God wasn't measured by the resources in his bank account. It was measured by his true state before God and his, his determination to ask God to develop in him a spirit of generosity as it relates to the poor. Thirdly, it's not only about the grace of God or about true wealth, but the grace of giving that we see here in 2 Corinthians is about putting God first. Putting God first. The grace of giving recognizes that God is first. In verse 5, Paul notes that he was pleasantly surprised by the fact that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then to Paul. Grace giving must be this way. We can only truly give as God intends us to give after we have first given all of ourselves to Him. That's the way giving must be. We have to first give ourselves to God. 
See, the Corinthian church was one of the wealthier churches, not simply with resources, but also in spiritual gifts. Paul noted in verse 7 that the churches excelled in so many ways, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. And his encouragement to them was that they would also excel in grace giving. When we put God first, when we give Him our everything, that's when the heart of generosity can develop in us. I remember, I, I think I maybe have shared this illustration with you before. I was uh, one day traveling on the metro and I was heading downtown and I had encountered uh, this person who was asking for money on the street. And I had spent time on the metro just singing praises in my heart to God and he actually gave me a song on that metro uh, ride. I won't sing it today for you. Uh, and I was just thanking God for the life that He's given me in Christ and that He has adopted me as His own child, as His beloved son. And I realized something. I realized that if I really captured what it means to be a child of God, if you really understand that God is your heavenly Father and that everything that belongs to Him belongs to you. Do you have any problem giving what resources we have? We know that God's going to meet our needs. We know that God is going to be able to make all grace abound to us in everything. Now, that's not to say that we need to go out and be foolish. But it's to say that there's something in our hearts that happens when we understand the sonship that comes when we're, and, and the truth behind what it means to be a child of God. We are free to give because we know God is our Father. We know that He will meet all of our needs. And when we have God in, cor in correct position in our lives, when God is first, that's what frees us up to give as the Scripture intends. Giving, uh, fourthly, should never be by compulsion should never be guilt-based. You should never give in such a way that you're doing it out of a sense of, uh, oh, you feel guilty if you don't give. That's very clear in Scripture that we are called to give with a willing heart, not under compulsion. In other words, grace-giving isn't forced, but invited. It must be voluntary, done from a willing heart. Paul in verse 8 clearly states that he is not giving them a command, but asking for their willing participation. He then gives us the example of Christ. Christ was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. You see, what Paul could have done is he could have come to the Corinthian church and, and, and basically given them a command. He could have wrote in his letter, I am commanding you, to fork over some funds because the church in Jerusalem needs it. And he could, have, he could have approached it that way. But instead he took a different approach. He took the approach of providing the Corinthian church with the example of Christ. That's the proper way to go about it. To encourage the spiritual discipline in our church this morning, we again present the method that Paul gave to the Corinthian church. We present the example of Christ. I'm here to tell you today that though Christ was rich, He became poor for our sakes. That through His poverty, we might become rich. 
Christ was in heaven with God, ruling and reigning. He had access to everything. He was Lord of lords. He's the Lord of all creation. He created everything in heaven with God. And he was the original missionary who stepped into time, stepped into humanity, and laid aside his divine prerogatives, laid aside the glory, laid aside his wealth in order to come into human history and to provision to us, to become, to be born of a poor family. It says that when Jesus was being dedicated, the family didn't even have the a type of animal to make the, the correct sacrifice. They had to use the, the backup plan. They had to use two doves. That just shows us that he was poor. He was born into a poor family. He, he laid aside all of that wealth for us so that we could be enriched. We can receive the grace of God and be enriched with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ. We are seated with Him and we have access to God as Father. You can't get any more well off than that. So giving is about grace. It's about true wealth. It's about putting God first. It's about willingness. And it's also about equality. Grace giving is about equality. If God has blessed you with resources, we are encouraged to participate and follow the example of Christ. We are each of us called to do our part. Not only that, but it's, it's about maturity. This grace of giving is about maturity. The church in Macedonia was extremely poor. But their joy outweighed their poverty. And that showed their spiritual maturity. Kent Hughes again said, the abiding spiritual fact is that there is no way to grow in spiritual maturity without committing one's giving to the Lord. God can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without having all of our money. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Matthew 6, verses 21. It's interesting, you know, a, a lot of discussion happens about, around the, the, this word tithing. This word tithing. Each week we, we talk about uh, taking up tithes and offerings. Is tithing commanded for us? Well, in, in a strict sense... Uh, the Old Testament law and all the tithes that, that Israel had to bring, it was a command. It wasn't a willing tithe. They were commanded to do it. 10% of all their produce. And there were several other offerings. And if you were to calculate them all today, go back in the Old Testament and see all the different ways they were given, it was, it was somewhere around 25% of everything that they took in. If you really wanted to calculate all their offerings, that's was there was a tithe for the festival. There was special offerings taken up to build uh, the tabernacle and, and the house of God. There's all kinds of these things. And tithing really isn't mentioned in the New Testament other than when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about how they were doing it just as an external thing for people to see and to praise them for. But Jesus, when he gave his law on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, he always emphasized the heart behind it. Remember, he said that you've heard it said that when you uh, thou shalt not murder, but if you hate 
your brother, you're guilty of murder. That you should not look upon a woman with lust because if you do, you're committing adultery in your heart. And in tithing was the same way. He says it's, it's about your heart. It's about the willingness you have. So today we understand the principle of tithing. We understand the principle of giving. And God has certainly called us to be generous givers. But how much is the percentage we're called to give today? Is what we want to know. Anybody have a guess? 10%? Anybody votes for 10%? What if I told you that the standard today is 100%? Every time I've prayed and asked God, what should I give? He always speaks to my heart and says all of it. God doesn't just want a tip. He's not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. That's evidenced by our giving. The money and the resources we accumulate, that is distilled and boiled down life because it took each of you hours and hours to accumulate it. It took your very heart, your soul, your energy, your provision. And when you give in that offering, you're giving part of your life that God has given to you. You're acknowledging Him. Scripture encourages us that each of us should give what God has put in our hearts to give. Not under compulsion, but a willing but from a willing heart. Because giving is truly about freedom. The freedom that God desires for His church is that they would be free from the fear of lack. The lack of provision. This is the idol of materialism. Kent Hughes once more wrote, The key to liberation from the power of materialism is not an exodus from culture, abandoning Wall Street or leaving the wealth of the nation to others, but the grace of giving. Givers for God disarm the power of money. When we give, we are disarming the power that money has over our lives. It was so interesting this week online, uh, Tim Keller, many of you have read some of his books or heard his, his messages. He's a pastor in New York City. He said this, follow the pathway of your fears back into your heart to discover the things you love more than money. You can go ahead, James. Follow the pathway of your fears back into your heart to discover the things you love more than God. Follow the pathway of your fears back into your heart to discover the things that you love more than God. The question this morning is, what do you fear? You know, a lady had commented on this statement by Tim Keller and said, you know, I never, I never uh, thought that I was worshiping homelessness. I never thought that I loved homelessness. The truth is, 
that the fear of homelessness is really about the fear of lack, the fear of provision. As long as we hold back from giving to God, we are placing that fear, that idol in our heart, in a place that it shouldn't be. When we put something in the place of God that really is worthless, the Bible calls all of these idols worthless, we inherit the destiny of the idols of our heart. What does that mean? That means we become of the same worth as those idols. We become worthless. Remember when it, the parable of the, uh, the steward and the one who buried the talent that God had given him. What, what does it say about the master? What he said about that servant? He said, take that worthless servant. He wasn't just insulting him. He was basically saying that this servant had put something higher in his heart that shouldn't be there. And that was the fear of lack, the fear of lack of provision, the idol of materialism. And God wants us to be free from that this morning. Remember that Jesus said we cannot serve two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember the law of Christ is that his desire is that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for your word that teaches us on the discipline of giving, the grace of giving. Lord, you've blessed us. Lord, we lack nothing because we have you. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You've met all of our needs. We're here today because of the miracle that you've done in each of our lives. Lord, help us to be free from the culture that puts money as their favorite idol. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Help us to understand that your desire is not that you would just take something away from us, but that you would apportion to us freedom through these disciplines. That we would be set free to serve you with a whole heart. That we would be free from the love of money that we would be free from the idol of materialism and that you would help us to develop a generous heart because we know that you love a generous and cheerful God.